Hi there. I'm Mark Swallow, and I'm glad you are joining me for today's God Is podcast. Let's get started learning who God is. Thank you for joining me today from wherever you are and by however you listen as we meet together coast to coast here in the United States and all the way around the world. Last time we began our discussion on the name of God, and we saw in the scripture the name of God in the singular. As we will see in the Bible, God has several names, but we began with the emphasis the Word of God gives to the name of God. Let it be that we do not take the name of the Lord our God in vain, as the commandment says, but that we praise his name to the ends of the earth, as the psalmist says. Many of us live in modern cultures where names do not mean very much. But that was not true in the context of the ancient Near East, the location for the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Let me quote from scholar Bruce Waltke, who in turn will quote from another Old Testament scholar. Names in the ancient Near East provide insights into the nature, character, prospect, hope, and the destiny of the person bearing the label. They are not merely euphemistic labels of identification, as is often the case in our culture. William Sanford Lesore says that a person's name is based closely with a person's existence, representing and expressing his or her character and personality. To learn a person's name is to enter into a relationship with his very being. Unquote. Indeed, in the Bible we see that a person's name is the expression of the nature of that person. And we have three instances where God actually changes a person's name to fit the destiny of that person. I am thinking of Abram being renamed Abraham, and of his wife Sarai being renamed Sarah, and later of Jacob being renamed Israel. I want to look briefly at each one because this will confirm what has just been said, and this sets us up to see how God's names reflect who He is. Remember, in these three instances, God is the one changing the names. In Genesis 17, verses 1 through 5, we read this Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. And when we know the full story, we can easily see how the change in name reflects the prospect and the hope for this man and the nation which he will father. The name tells us a lot about the person. Then, still in Genesis chapter 17, God renamed Abraham's wife. Her name was Sarai, 
S-A-R-A-I, but it became Sarah, S-A-R-A-A-H. I'm reading Genesis 17, verses 15 and 16. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarai means my princess. Sarah means princess. Since Sarah will be the mother of the promised nations and kings, God takes away the personal pronoun and gives her the name that represents the prospect and destiny of God's people. The name tells us a lot about the person. Finally, we have Jacob who becomes Israel. I wish we had time to develop this true story in detail, but we do not. Let's look specifically at the name change which comes in Genesis chapter 32. I am reading Genesis 32 verses 24 through 28. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to Jacob, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The man here, I believe, is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob wrestles with God. The name Jacob certainly fits his character. If you know his biography, you know Jacob lives up to his name, which means he cheats or supplanter deceiver. He grew up being quite conniving, like when and how he stole his brother Esau's birthright. But here, having been humbled by God to the point where Jacob's thigh was dislocated and he walked with a limp, God changes his name to Israel. And Israel means he who strives with God, or God strives, or God's fighter. We see that right in the text of verse 28. The man, meaning the pre-incarnate Christ, said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. And reading the Bible, we see that indeed Israel struggled. The name tells us a lot about the person, and in this case, a nation. I share this with you to stress that in the ancient world, in the biblical world, names were very important and reflected a person's character and personality, their nature, prospect, hope, and the destiny of the person. The names of God will tell us who he is, his nature, his character, and his personality. God's names are God's self-revelation, and so we have to pull ourselves away from our culture and put ourselves as much as we can into the ancient Near Eastern culture. 
This is typically hard for us today because we are creatures of our culture, and we're rather obsessed with it. But students of the Bible must be transported back centuries to grasp the full meaning of the text. And names are an important part of that. For some reason, I remember that when I was a child, I'd say around seven or eight, my parents took my brother and I on our annual summer vacation to Nova Scotia, Canada. That is where my grandparents lived on my father's side. And that was one long and arduous car ride. We certainly were not flying because both of my parents have a fear of flight. Ironic, given our last name of Swallow. Get it? (laughs) So we drove. It's at least 12 hours from Boston. In a car, with no air conditioning. So to make it so that my brother and I did not kill each other, or one of our parents did not reach around and do the same to us, we stopped. Got out of the car, stretched our legs, maybe went into a shop while my dad gassed up. And one of these times, I think we were in Maine. It took forever to drive through Maine. My mom and brother and I were in a roadside store, and I looked over and saw a whole wall full of kids' license plates. They were small, plastic, and each one looked like it came from the Department of Motor Vehicles for the state of Maine, but with the name of a specific child on it. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever seen one of these? Maybe you had one or you bought one for your child or grandchild. I believe they still make them. Anyway, I searched and searched and finally one labeled Mark. And it was the right spelling, too. M-A-R-K. And what was really cool about it is that on the back, it defined what my name meant. It read Mark, meaning warlike. Wow! Imagine how I felt. This was my name on my license plate, and my name means warlike. Remember, I am a boy. I am going to be a man. Yeah, what boy doesn't want to be warlike? So, not yet being quite man enough to afford my own mini-license plate, I begged my mom for it. And she came through. Somewhere in the recesses of her basement, I bet we'd find that license plate today. Well, that's an example of how little we Americans think of our names. Ask my mom why she named me Mark, and she will say, I just liked it. And quickly add, like Mark the gospel writer. But you will not catch those who name children in the Bible, including in the New Testament. Think of how Jesus was named. You will not catch parents there thinking so lightly about what to name their sons and daughters. And certainly you will not find that God treats his own name, names, plural, lightly. And so, let's continue to make our way to the specific names that God uses for himself. As we do this, it is crucial to keep some things in mind. I will spell these out for us. And the first is, only God can name himself. We do not name God. He names himself, is how theologian Herman Bavinck puts it, and he is right. And this is worth thinking about. We are on holy ground here, 
because we are dealing with the names God gives for himself. There is no room for a casual, human-centered approach to the names of God, as if we get to decide what we will call him. No, we do not name God. He names himself. And more next time, because God is. Thank you for listening to this God Is podcast. Drop me an email and tell me what you think. Mark at GodIsMinistry.org That's Mark at GodIsMinistry.org Please do share this with others and be sure and join me for the next one.